What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the CanadianGameDoes.com interview show. I don't really number them or anything like that. With me today is Karina Diaz, who's a social media marketer. Uh, <laughs> Karina, thank you so much for joining me. We, we have, we've been kind of fighting back, not fighting, but we've been kind of trying to work around our schedules the last, uh, like, feels like, feels like a couple of weeks now. I know the life of a social media marketer is all I can say. <laughs> I was <laughs> so just it goes. I was just talking because uh, I just before this I did the podcast with Brett that I do uh, or try to do every other week and we were just talking about adult life like it's just busy uh, it's just hard. Um, it's so true. So I, I do appreciate it. we haven't really I haven't really spoken to uh, a marketer marketing type of person just yet uh, in the oh, new wow. show and I and even you were talking about how you get questions a lot I get questions a lot about marketing and stuff so I'm I'm uh, looking forward to diving into that um, my pleasure yeah <laughs> before we do uh let's get to know you a little bit more do you want to maybe just introduce yourself uh and like kind of your title and what you're kind of currently doing right now absolutely um i mean people are always confused about what i'm doing because i work with a lot of different clients so um, my role generally is social media marketer or digital strategist if you will depending on I guess sort of what's a four-letter word in your vocabulary because <laughs> I know social and marketing, you know, not everyone's um, game. But I spent about 10 years, um, you know, it really started out as writing. I, I went to school for writing. I was very passionate about English literature. Um, I was, you know, a writing teacher for a little while. And marketing was a natural fit, um, especially, I'm going to reveal my age now, but um, I graduated all the way back in 2003, 2004. So, um, there weren't a lot of social media courses available, um, nor were there very many jobs available. So I was able to kind of, um, I guess, worm my way into marketing through the onset of social media, which required a lot of writing. Um, so lucky for me. And along the way, of course, being um, sort of a brave new world, I I just learned a lot of things that, um, lucky for me, people who were in senior positions at marketing agencies had not learned quite yet. So, you know, when Facebook was in its infancy, certainly Twitter, um, you know, when Instagram launched, uh, YouTube's always sort of been there in the background, but it, it really sort of came on hard and heavy more recently. Um, and yeah, along the way, there's, you know, been some social media marketers who, um, you know, were training and, and doing courses. And I was one of the people who was kind of already working in the field. So, um, I've worked for agencies. I've worked with big clients at some of those agencies, but um, I've always had kind of a passion for working with smaller um, startups or, I guess, uh, indies, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, certainly when it comes to video games, that's something that I sought out. Um, I've looked at various roles within AAA studios, but I really like how um, independent studios um, I like how they operate in terms of their sort of creative flow, but, uh, if I'm being totally honest, I like working remotely too. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's something that, again, a lot of people, um, find confusing about me because I work from home a lot or I travel a lot. Um, but when you work as sort of a consultant, um, you know, I'm, I'm in a lot of clients offices from time to time trying to get a sense of what they do. Uh, we're sometimes launching products or throwing events or doing PR, um, it's, it's an exciting job to have and it lets me kind of, you know, yes, certainly still write a lot, but, um, now it's become much more of a, a data driven, um, strategic, um, I guess, you know, uh, planned exercise, um, rather than just creating content, I'm now responsible for kind of driving some results around that content, whether it's sales or community growth or, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, um, 
let's go all the way to the beginning in terms of a gamer like how do you define yourself as a gamer like do you are you a pc person console person and then like what was the <laughs> what was kind of the start of your kind of gaming adventure like have you been uh going like i know sorry you aged yourself earlier so i'm, I'm picturing around the Commodore. <laughs> it's okay we'll just we'll oust me no you're absolutely right um <laughs> it's funny when when people say gamer like i'm old enough that that's still a, a, an uncomfortable word i think <laughs> or i'm like gamer i don't know am i one but um certainly i i was really lucky to have a mother who was a teacher and um by sort of virtue of that she had a computer in her classroom um you know when i was very young mm-hmm. so she brought that home in the summertime and we had a commodore that was filled with um strictly educational floppy disk games <laughs> but i loved them i mean carmen san diego was and sim city were probably the the first that i would consider actual games rather than just learning experiences um <laughs> but they were all games and you know work you know playing around with print shop and all that stuff when i was probably five and this this is you know, back, I guess, 1985, 1986 is sort of when this was. So it was very, very early. Computers were, like, not really capable of much. Um, yeah. And then, you know, sort of through the 90s, that was sort of how I lived. My parents were into consoles. Like, we had an Intellivision and an Atari in the closet at our cottage that we could pull out on rainy days. But they're kind of hippies, and I think they didn't want me to, like, get obsessed <laughs> And it was a terrible ploy because, like, of course I became obsessed with these magical things that I wasn't allowed to touch. And, yeah, um, yeah when I was 11, we got an SNES. And I have two younger sisters, so, you know, I was very much the sibling who, like, tricked them into watching me play. And I was very, like, you know, <laughs> I hogged the console, basically. And they always, got, and I the, no they always got the brutal, like, third-party controllers and all that crap. <laughs> Exactly. Or they'd get like the manual and I'd be like, yeah, you're going to look stuff up for me. Like that's how I played Zelda (laughs) was them like and keeping an eye out for my parents because we had like time restrictions around the console. But but that's that's really how I um, I think, you know, I would say got into gaming because up to then I was just relying on my friends and like hanging out at their houses. And I feel like when you only get a a little taste of a game, um, certainly older games and arcade style games, like there's some games you can pick up for a minute and have a great time with. But you know, when you get into things like I would say even Mario, but certainly Zelda and more RPGs games, it's hard to get the full experience without, you know, kind of obsessing over it and yeah. having hours and hours with it. So, um, fast forward to high school, I uh, yeah was not. I was a great student in terms of marks. I wasn't a great student in terms of attendance. Um, and I I really like became obsessed with PlayStation. And I think that's where my love of RPGs came from. So in my sort of adult life um we actually have an xbox a playstation and several pcs but my pc games have become my favorite um near automata is like my latest obsession i know it's kind of an old game but i'm still kind of obsessed with it that's the um, it's not that old this is a couple <laughs> years right couple years and i'm still i still haven't played through every ending it's one of those games that has like a lot of um replayability mm-hmm. for sure um and then rocket league like i've gotten really into more of the online networked gaming um i've never shied away from any game like I'm I help judge IGF every year and I'm very active in terms of helping people to test and try out new games and give them feedback so it's hard for me to say whether I have a a preference a a preference whether I have a distaste for any one kind of game or another Mm. um certainly like mobile gaming is something I don't do much but that's because my phone is my work tool in social media and it's it's not as fun to pick up as for example my computer that's dedicated to games only um, or my console where like I get no notification distractions, not right. really. So, um, so yeah, I, I feel like, you know, now that I'm a little bit older, I try to be as universal as I can, but that's more because of my work and the fact that I'm, I'm talking to people who 
you know, basically put their games up on so many different platforms that I have to be slightly well-versed in each. Um, but yeah, my background was pretty, you know, traditional. As I say, um, Zelda Link to the Past was, I would credit that game as being like the one that changed my life. And I don't really credit my old PC slash Commodore games enough um, with, I think, influencing my love for games, but it's only because of the fact that I viewed them as sort of educational and to some degree boring and yeah. like even Doom, the first time I got Doom, I had to like read my modem manual to figure out how to connect <laughs> with the sysop to download it at 2400 BPS. And that exercise was like, it was like learning for me. So by the time I download the game, I'm like, this is fun. But like, that was a lot of work. Oh, you had to like Whereas, download yeah. Doom to play it? Yeah. Oh. Well, this was in... I'm trying to think, 94, it was the first time I'd ever used the modem on our computer. Yeah. And it was to call someone from my school who could connect me to, like, someone who could send me the file. And it was so huge. It took, like, four and a half days to send. And my dad was like, <laughs> why is our fax line being used? I was like, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> it's like, these are the things that, like, us old people remember. But I think, like, again, that, like, in retrospect, that is gaming like that's where gaming kind of came from and it's sort of like those efforts especially from the pc and game development crowd that's that's sort of where a lot of that was birthed and people learned how to like code and tinker and do that stuff mm. um but i think for me as a gamer um i you know i don't develop games i've never really coded anything other than like a basic website in my life so learning to do that takes some of the fun away for me and that's where i think consoles and now like having things like steam or valve or gog where i can just kind of like plug and play to a degree um on computers that's more fun for me um but yeah i downloaded doom online once <laughs> i don't even know you now that i'm down. saying that i'm like geez like that's that's like probably piracy okay in my defense i was like 12 okay so <laughs> I, I don't remember uh I, I didn't even know you could download games back then because i had duke nukem um, oh yeah, yeah, Duke that's Nukem, another one. Duke Nukem 3D. I remember buying it in Storm, uh, and and the cover is like Duke like on top of a bunch of dead demons or whatever. And I, and I <laughs> so obviously I was like, when was I? Uh, this would have been like ninety four, ninety five. So I was probably nice. around eight or so. It's probably expensive, right? Like I, I have no idea. My mom, my, I imagine so. I remember just like seeing the box and was like, yes, I want this. This so is the much. only thing I want. That's so all I I've ever wanted. To my parents. I'm looking it up right now to see when that game actually kind of came out. Because I had no idea Duke Nukem <laughs> was like. about right. But yeah. Oh, 1996. So I was 10 years old. Okay. Cool, cool. Um, yeah. And that was like kind of the, again, golden era of, of those types of PC games. Because like people were willing to spend a lot of money on them. They were being developed, you know, by fairly large studios. It was not your shareware anymore <laughs> yeah and i didn't even know duke nukem was uh because we had the we had a pc but it wasn't played that much it was just kind of um it was just kind of there like my dad kind of had it for work and stuff like that and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i didn't really use it but then when as soon as duke nukem 3d came out uh i also got like SimCity around that same time too and and those oh, two nice. games i just like battled back and forth like so always good. playing to playing until like four in the morning and you know duke nukem you know is quite an interesting game for like a nine or ten year old to be playing um it is it is although you know like we grow up fast it's fine it's no fine. for sure and i mean kids these days like with the internet all that stuff it's whatever oh my gosh it's so different honestly though like i i again like the ease and accessibility had like cuts both ways when i was young it was so you had to jump through so many hoops or go through your parents to get games so i never yeah. felt like i was being exposed to anything terribly risky um whereas nowadays i mean 
a part of what I do now is, is I work, you know, some with some adult games and they're definitely not for kids and like cannot be mistaken as game for kids yeah. and games run the gamut. So, so yeah, but honestly, like, I feel like, you know, if you're as old as we are, games perhaps started from a more innocent place. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I say, like Sim City. I mean, I wanted to destroy everything, but the, you know, violence was limited. Yeah. I actually, it's <laughs> funny. Sim City, uh, the, I recently just played the SNES version of SimCity oh, cool. um, at a friend's house. And you can actually... Bowser is like the dinosaur in that game that just comes and what? destroys. And he destroys... Um, oh, like, that's great. He destroys like power plants and stuff like that because he's very like... I guess he's very green in the game. Like he'll, <laughs> he'll just destroy... Like if, if your pollution is too high... Preferentially eco-friendly monsters. Yeah, I like it, it. I guess it's because like in Japanese, like, you know, Godzilla and yep. like, all that stuff. It's, so he comes in when your pollution is really high and stuff like that. And you're harming the oh, earth. He comes in that's cool. Never oh, <laughs> SNES did it right. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, so you are a social media marketer. Uh, and, yes. And you have been for quite a while. Um, are you able to say... You mentioned how you worked with indie games. Uh, are you able to say some of the ones you've worked with in the past? It's fine if you're not. Oh, yes, totally. Um, I mean, I've worked with um, some larger companies that have games as part of their portfolio. Um, so some of the more fun companies I've worked with is like Manga Entertainment and Funimation. Um, I'm a big anime nerd. Um, but also uh, Lightning Rod Games is probably one of the studios that I'm best known for. I was with them for a few years uh, developing a Fold Apart, which is coming out shortly i think next year um right now i work with a couple studios uh more on a contractual basis which again i find with indies it's um you know it's it's difficult for them to allocate budget to something like marketing but um a couple of the projects that i'm working with right now are blastorama and uh slime evo um so there's a couple games coming out um that you know, I'm kind of excited to have, have touched in some way. Um, mm. But in the past, working with uh, the larger brands, um, you know, it's it's kind of a blessing and a curse. You get to touch some really big IPs, but then you don't really get to say anything about it. And you, you and I kind of chatted before we did the call. Um, but I was saying, like, it's great to be able to, like, tell you some of the places where I've worked. And it's unfortunate that I can't tell you some of the cool things that we've worked on. Um, indies, I find, are much more... Uh, obviously they need sort of the, the recognition and they want the promotion. So I'm able to talk about what I do a little bit more and, um, you know, not that I'm a big wig in any way, but it's fun to be able to promote those games. A Fooled Apart in particular, um, you know, last year the game was still in development. It's, it's you know, not coming out for a little while. It, it wasn't sort of married to a publisher as yet. And we were still able to take the game to some big conferences and, you know, win a whole bunch of awards and get a whole bunch of press recognition. And it's really exciting, I think, to see how that um, impacts an indie studio. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say it doesn't matter to a larger studio. But, yeah, it's really fun to see um, at sort of that small level how... Um, it is marketing, but it's more like sort of social media community support and how that um, really can amplify um, a, an indie studio's voice. And so how would you summarize like what you do? Like we, we you can either be <laughs> specific on like particular games or you can just kind of in a broader sense, like for anyone who's listening, who, you know, might want to enter in social media marketing or anything like that. Like what, how would you kind of describe mm -hmm. like your day to day? That's a good question. Um, I mean, it, it really depends on who you're working with because your role can cover a lot of different areas like community or PR 
or social media or promotion or even down to sales and advertising. Um, but my day usually looks um, something like talking to a client one-on-one, determining what their specific needs are. So there's a lot of sort of individualization in the strategy that I do. And, you know, if I'm being quite frank, a lot of that comes from the budget that they're working with. Some mm-hmm. of them have, you know, zero budget to work with when it comes to marketing. And some of them, you know, have some funding or, or some kind of support or investment. Um, but a lot of, you know, my day to day is determining how to, um, you know, maximize whatever the spend is going to be for these indie groups and make sure that it's pushing their bottom line. And that's that's very loosey goosey, but if I were to put a finer point on it, um, you know, some people are at a point where they're at the very beginning of their development phase. They literally are starting from zero. They may not even own like the brand page for the name of the game that they want to look into. They may not even have copyrighted or trademarked the name yet. Um, so there's like sort of the inception phase of marketing where you're really just um, giving them a social footprint and helping them to establish who they are and make sure they know their identity. Um, And that is something that people often do sort of internally on their own already. So when I come on board, I'm usually just organizing it. Uh, You know, what's what's your brand voice? And like, Mm -hmm. you know, what's what's your audience in some cases, which may require some research. Um, But that sort of runs the gamut, um, working through people who are, you know, starting to develop and maybe thinking about crowdfunding, um, right through to people who are doing sort of trade shows and starting to present to press. And of course, people who are ready to make sales. And depending on which stage of development um, or production they're in, uh, and this kind of goes for any form of digital entertainment, but for games, it's, I would say it's much more, um, it's much more concrete because there is like a very clear production phase and then a launch phase. Uh, when I work on a TV show or something, you know, it's constantly rolling out content. It may not even end at the end of the season, uh, but a game kind of has a lifespan. Um, so it's really trying to look at what the life cycle of that game is going to be and where marketing might fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the fun part of my day is kind of the creative end of it. So, yes, I have to figure out how people are going to spend their money and get the most out of it. Um, but if they're building community, a lot of that involves making relationships on behalf of my clients. And that's kind of where I, I you know, I guess get off on my job because I get to, like, show my personality and work on the brand's personality. Um, you know, people who do marketing don't necessarily have to be extroverted. I don't feel that I'm necessarily an extrovert, but I do enjoy talking to people about things that I'm excited about. Um, And again, people are like, that's your extroversion showing. Well, not really. It just means that I'm passionate when I know I have something that people might be interested in. And the games community is very um, interested in listening to each other. So when I work with games clients in particular, that's sort of, um, you know, a fun and active part of my day. Posting to social media as part of that, continuing the conversation through engagement as part of that. Um, I think a lot of what people assume social media marketing is, is is really just that phase, the posting and the commenting. Yeah, just tweeting Um, or training or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, which, you know, if you've ever done it, um, especially if you've tried to do it like at an event, like a conference or something where there's a lot of information being shared at once, it's a lot of work. Um, packaging you know media and photos and video i mean i don't have to tell you you run a podcast you understand <laughs> it's a lot of work um but you know it, it it has pretty decent um payoff the the work that doesn't always pay off is all of that sort of <clears throat> constant tweeting and sort of it edges on self-promotion sometimes but it's really just trying to get your link or get your content or get your um you know your your community reach out there 
Um, and you kind of have to be repetitive and, you know, sometimes a little persistent. Um, not everybody's comfortable doing it, but th that is sort of a huge part of the job. The part that people don't really see and is certainly not necessarily as fun, but much more interesting is the data analysis. Mm. And, you know, most people understand that there's data attached to everything that goes on social media. But um, I sit down with a lot of clients. And again, if, if you're a game developer or someone who like doesn't do what I do for a living, I do not in any way expect you to care or know about this. So I'm not coming from a place of like, you know, any kind of antagonism, but it is really amazing to me how many people don't know the analytics that are available on these platforms. It's, it's wild. And it terrifies some people. Like I've had clients who are like, whoa, I'm deleting my Facebook today, um, <laughs> which, you know, maybe you want to. Um, but I've had other clients who are just like, holy cow, like I had no idea I could understand what makes my community tick mm. to this degree. And it, that's fascinating. It's not the fun, like, zany hey 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 i'm posting a meme kind of part of the job but it is the analytical like why do people like this meme and like what type of people like this meme and what drove the activity um and to me getting that kind of feedback and refining your content is like the magic um and it's not rocket science like i hate to say that um i shouldn't like talk myself out of a job but you know most of what i do isn't it, it really is just kind of looking at what works and trying to replicate it but it's that that marrying of the creative, fun, sort of quote unquote extroverted aspect of my job with that data analysis and like desire to almost self criticize your content a lot <laughs> and constantly. If you can marry those two things up, you kind of have a marketer. Um, and that's kind of what social media marketing is when it's done effectively. Um, and my job, I think, is to make sure that, you know, like I said, whoever my client is in whatever phase they're at, that I'm doing something effectively for them. Um, that's really the trickiest part is making sure that I'm not sort of, you know, you don't want to sell any snake oil. There's plenty of people selling snake oil out there when it comes to marketing. Um, you don't want to spin your wheels and produce no results. Um, so there's certainly like techniques and tricks and things that I've learned through my experience that make me maybe better at doing it than other people, but there's sort of no real guarantee when you're working with a brand new IP or a new product or a new game. Like you really never know how it's going to resonate. And, you know, that's, <laughs> if I'm honest with you, that's part of also why I don't work at sort of a larger agency or a larger studio. I like to hand pick my projects um, mm. just to make sure <laughs> that I'm not setting, you know, anyone up for failure, including myself. Yeah, and um, to go back to the analytics thing, it's funny because, like, <clears throat> since starting Canadian Game Devs and formerly mm -hmm. Toronto Game Devs, like, the two the, the two that I kind of really dive into is, is uh, Google, obviously, and Twitter because those are, like, kind of the two big ones that I always look at. Um, right. And then, like, a little bit of Facebook and stuff here. here. And I was, I, I've kind of, not that I'm a master at it or anything like that, but like you said, like, uh, it... it you just got to like spend the time, I think, and look at it and just kind of see where people are coming from. Like very obviously, like what I, some of it kind of shows what I already knew. Like a lot of my traffic mm -hmm. come or came from Toronto. That was pretty, mm -hmm. um, that didn't like, that didn't shatter my world or anything like that. But, mm -hmm. but it is confirmation. Things. It is for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's good that like a lot of that traffic's not coming from just some bot over in like, France or <laughs> in something like Russia that. or something. Yeah. Which, which has happened before where it's just like. <laughs> traffic like jumps and i'm just like where's this coming from and i see like it's like france and i'm like okay that's just whatever <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. nothing um 
So you kind of already sort of brushed on this a little bit and, and, you know, marketing on a small budget. Like we, we kind of, we were talking before the show, like right particular questions and stuff like that. Like, like even I get that question sometimes where people just email me <laughs> asking me for advice on, well, how can I do this on like the smallest amount of budget? Because I think for a lot of the indie developers, it's always like a lot of them are like coders or artists or, or something like that, or a combination of two. Uh, mm-hmm. They wear a lot of, they, you know, they wear many hats. They might be the uh, designer on everything, but then they also might be the part-time coder and then they just have like a, a sound guy or, or they do their own sound and stuff like that. Like they wear many yeah, hats. Yeah, totally. And, and a lot of the times, at least in my experience, maybe you can confirm or deny, uh, marketing's almost like left on the shelf a little bit. It's just sort of <laughs> put aside and they're like, I ah, will worry about it later. We'll talk about the timing of marketing, but in terms of like marketing on a small budget, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you don't have to go s- super into depth in here and, and, and uh, give away your job, but <laughs> do you, what are some tips that you have for people that either have no budget or a very small budget or just are kind of lost in, like, what they have to even do? Actually, marketing on a $0 budget is not as hard as people think, and it's something that I do encourage people to get started in early. Um, it can be something as simple as making sure that you're claiming the name um, of the game or the studio that you intend to use the last thing you want to do is you know get your heart set on a name and maybe do some great branding behind it and then realize someone else is using it Um, or even worse you know it's it's already been appropriated by another game or some other industry that you don't want to be associated with Uh, it's really easy to check that there's actually a website called name checker Um, we can sort of include the link um, afterwards on your site but it allows you to kind of check every social media platform at once, including .coms and .nets and all the different domains. And you can see where a name has been claimed or where it's available. Um, I used it recently to claim Game Waifu, which <laughs> I couldn't believe was available, but it was. Um, so it, it's, it's a great way to make sure that you're sort of setting off on the right foot before you start a project. Um, certainly, if you're going to start a studio, any business you know wants to own every part of the internet associated with that business. But... Um, for a game, it, it's really important. Um, I always bring up the example of Bendy and Ink Machine, which is a great Canadian success story. Um, and it's a great little game, but it, it was sort of an unexpected success. And um, a lot of the accounts that they had to go back and claim were, in some cases, difficult to do. Um, and there's a lot of Bendy and Ink Machine uh, sort of false accounts or fan accounts out there that aren't official um it's hard to control that but you can control it if you are proactive when you first start um basically before the game gets big um a lot of times too by claiming those names and just establishing um something very simple maybe your logo or a very brief description of whatever that page is later going to represent be it your studio or your game you can start to um you know kind of gather followers. Um, that accretion should be really low and slow. That's the ideal way to build community. Uh, unless you have a huge budget, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but again, on zero dollars, you can kind of claim these names. It costs nothing to set up, you know, your Twitter, your Twitch, your Instagram. It, it's annoying. Um, I'm not going to lie, but uh, certainly prudent. And once those are set up, you can sort of let people start to find you. I'm not suggesting for a second that you find time to post to them. Um, I think that's the reason why a lot of people shy away from marketing and social media when, you know, as you say, their their main focus is being a developer or an artist or maybe a project manager. Um, they feel like it's going to distract them 
from their main focus. Mm -hmm. And I would certainly tend to agree if if they were going to be posting on a regular basis. Um, there's a reason why people bring in social media community managers and content creators at a certain point. Um, but initially, and again, when you don't have the budget to bring someone in to do that, um, it's very easy to set things up. And, you know, when you have time, you could always post. Uh, but I don't think that you need to feel obligated to do so. Um, the other really cool thing people can do on a $0 budget, and I, I again, don't want to make the assumption that people don't know this, but I find that a lot of people haven't looked at the back end of their social platforms to see um, who is already in their personal audience. If you're not really big on social media, but you do have, you know, let's say two to 500 followers on Twitter, um, or you have, uh, in some cases, a Facebook group or a page that you're part of, um, it would be good to look at those communities. And if you feel like there's an audience for your game there, Usually the people who follow you are going to be naturally interested in what you're doing. But if they are part of other groups, you can kind of start to drill down and figure out um, not necessarily who the perfect audience is, but who is the audience that you have the easiest access to when you're ready to actually start promoting this game. Uh, word of mouth is a really great way to, um, again, do that sort of low and slow build. And um, having worked with Lightning Rod Games on a fold apart, you know, we didn't have... Um, we weren't promoting the content, so we were only using organic strategy um, as far as trying to get the word out there. And we found a lot of success in participating in, you know, Screenshot Saturday and a lot of different Facebook groups um, that are about indie game promo. Um, getting involved with things like packs and those big events just opens you up to all these other private groups and networks online. And it's all free. Yes, again, you need someone available to post it, but understanding where those channels are will help you prepare for the time when you are ready to start posting and sharing whatever it is you're doing. Um, and that, you know, typically will come with a budget at the very least to help uh, get some content created. Like you may need a designer that's, you know, not your artist working on the game, but like an actual graphic designer to help you. Um, or you may need someone, you know, again, kind of like myself, who's actually going to post and manage and bring you meaningful feedback um, once you start to, you know, spend some kind of money on marketing. Um, but at a zero dollar budget, you know, again, you don't want to like spend that money until you're actually ready to see some kind of meaningful benefit from it. So if you're really early in production, I don't really know how much, um, you know, understanding your community is helping you other than, you know, as I say, preparing for when you're getting ready to launch that game. Yeah. Um, and speaking of timing, so there's, you know, there's different, you kind of already alluded to this, uh, in your responses before, like in terms of the timing of, uh, of video games, like with television shows, just like constantly always, you know, every week there's a new episode or something like that. But for gaming, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, there's the alpha and beta parts of it where you're kind of sending out screenshots, then you're like doing a trailer and then you want to get it in the hands of gamers to test out at shows or, or what have you. And then there's mm -hmm. the release and then any sort of like post-release stuff like games are always updated these days and, and things like that mm -hmm. for games for any games um like what when's the best time to do marketing do you feel or is it like are you doing different things at different stages i think um again this all kind of comes down to how lean and mean your studio is going to be um one thing that i've i've learned along the way is that marketing 
can't be prioritized above the completion of a project, for example. Right. Um, so there's a lot of studios who aren't sort of able to do marketing, not so much because they don't feel it's a priority, but like the budget just doesn't allow for it. So I would never, you know, sort of push someone to do marketing until they're ready in that respect. Um, the main reason being that sort of like in other creative industries, but certainly in gaming, when you're finished a gaming project or when you're nearing completion, if the project is really well done and you've put in the appropriate time and resources, um, you know, not diverting anything to marketing, um, you know, you probably end up with a product that is shoppable and shoppable, meaning you could probably partner with a publisher. There's people in the market who are willing to pick it up and invest in it. Um, your game has to be of a certain caliber and quality, but, um, the product in many ways will speak for itself and the marketing can be tacked on. I don't believe that's the best way for an indie developer to do it because you're going to give up control and profits along the way. Um, that can be a very favorable relationship and it really depends on, you know, your needs, but that is certainly one way to get your marketing covered and publishers can offer great marketing. Um, so people who are like worried that their game is about to launch and they haven't thought about marketing, you're, you're not like dead in the water. However, if you want to have more control over it, and basically if you want to see the most benefit off of your marketing, the earlier you can start, the better. And part of that starts with you at zero dollars, just doing some very basic, you know, housekeeping items just to make sure that your marketing is good to go when you're ready. Um, But I think the most meaningful sort of time to initiate marketing is when you can see benefit that is going to mean something to the company. What I'm trying to say there is that if you're going to go and take your game and start shopping it, whether it's an alpha or beta or a demo mode or, you know, really it's it's just sort of like a trailer that you're teasing out um, in very early phases. Um, either way, I think that there's something meaningful that marketing can give you in terms of feedback. So I've been brought into games at very early stages to help actually build testing groups, which are actually used more like focus groups because we select them based on extremely clear criteria. Um, And it's used to, um, in, in a sense, pressure test the game, yes, to see if certain functionalities are working, but also try maybe different menu choices or different, um, color combinations. I mean, there's a lot of AB testing that can go into, um, early game development that a marketing, mind, I guess, can help organize. Um, So focus groups and testing are a lot like marketing and that you're reaching out to the community, you're sort of engaging with key people and collecting data and feedback that can be translated into actionable insights. Um, So that's sort of beneficial at that phase. Now, along the way, marketing can also do things like build your email list. So a lot of companies that I've worked with don't have a lot of budget, but they know that at a certain point, they're going to have something either to sell or to announce, let's say a Kickstarter, which Mm. is kind of both. (laughs) They need to build an email list. So sometimes I'm brought in just for the sake of um, driving that bottom line. And I'll come up with lots of different ways to do that. It could be through PR, it could be through social, it could be through a lot of different things. But if the bottom line is building email, again, it's something that Um, for the studio or the game project itself, I can deliver some kind of meaningful value, meaningful um, data, and again, something that they can act on later on. So that's sort of the criteria that I use to determine whether you're ready for marketing or not. Um, Basically, if I can't deliver something that you can use right now, it's not time. And if 
if a game project isn't going smoothly or if there's a lot of question marks about sort of when it's going to be released or how it's going to be presented to the community, again, I think the marketing has to adjust accordingly. Um, there's a lot of marketing that goes into games when they're still up in the air, so to speak. So it, it's okay to, to do marketing when you don't know what your game's going to look like in the end. But, um, you know, you still have to have some kind of end date or goal or something that you can talk to the community about. And if that sort of was completely open-ended, that's another thing that, you know, makes it difficult to initiate marketing because I can't deliver um, meaningful results in the same way. And we're not really working towards sales, which, you know, if I'm being honest, that's what everybody wants for marketing in the end. It's supposed to make you more money. (laughs) People forget that. Um, It's not just supposed to be a spend. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the timing um, for some for some companies is sort of any time. So I always use Kit Fox, too, who just ran the Boyfriend Dungeon Kickstarter. Phenomenally successful. And they've had a few other successful Kickstarters in the past. They're also a a studio who's active in the community. So they don't necessarily market in the traditional sense of like, hey, hi, here's this what we're doing and buy it um, or here's a new product to buy but they did run a Kickstarter and their community efforts which is more about talking and participating in panels and kind of just constantly posting really fun cool stuff on their page that funneled into their Kickstarter and produced meaningful results so that's a great studio where because they've been doing this for a little while you can see how the irreverent social media posting that fun thing that you know people like me do every day you can kind of see how for them that converts meaningfully into dollars and a a kickstarter is a rare glimpse into the finances that go into a game Um, now not exclusively there's probably other finances that you won't see but at least you get to see sort of how um, you know community backing and support driven by marketing can actually convert that way um, and that's that's sort of the modern form of marketing. It's not sort of just ads and hammering people over the head. It's you know it's kind of asking for their support and trying to encourage them to give it, um, and then celebrating together when you all get the support you need to, you know, to produce the game or get it launched. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. For someone who is listening and wants to kind of get into the marketing game, mm-hmm. um, what like. You, you you know when you went to school like social media marketing didn't wasn't really around then <laughs> I, I don't know if you've looked into like you know someone who's younger who might be yeah in no like, there's what? some great programs <clears throat> um yeah the uh, honestly the the one that stands out to me right now although it is a it's a post secondary degree but there's a sort of communications and culture slash digital culture degree that I believe York and Ryerson run conjunctively mm-hmm. um it's just an example, I'm not necessarily saying that those schools or that program are the one for you, but if you look at that course, it's a great example of the type of content that would be covered in a good social media marketing course. Now, at lower levels, um, I feel like people are usually forced to generalize just based on what's available. So you, you'll probably end up stuck in like some kind of business-minded program. Um, or potentially a digital communications program. But I certainly think if you want to be involved in social media at any age and at any stage of your career, if if that's what you want to be involved in, um, courses are great, but experience is better. And social media is one of the rare places where you don't really need a job to prove experience. It's very rare. Um, there's no barrier to entry in terms of social media. Um, anyone can build up a following, 
um, anyone can post and have a viral hit. Um, you don't have to have like an editor approve your piece, like right. you know, if you're a journalist or something like that. So um, I feel very strongly, and it's probably because of my age that experience speaks volumes. And if I, you know, if I'm looking at hiring people or, or working with people, I build teams out a lot. Um, you know, kind of need like mini versions of me to help with clients. Um, I'm much more interested in what they're doing on their own social media than I am ever interested in what they've done academically. And that's only because it's a field that changes so rapidly. So if you were learning, for example, what the Facebook algorithm was today in class, um, A, it's already dated because Facebook doesn't make that information public for about a year. Um, you have to kind of be on the Facebook marketer course in order to even get it first and even then it's already three months old mm -hmm. um so so and and it, interestingly enough again to get in those facebook marketer courses and there's all kinds of like twitter analytics courses and things that are all run by the platforms themselves they don't look at your degrees in order to qualify you they usually qualify you based on um the fact that you have an account that's legit on the platform and that you know usually you have to explain that i'm interested in a role in social media but that's it um, the qualification has nothing to do with academics. So I don't want to like put down academics. School is great. I loved post-secondary education. Um, but to be honest, if you were really good at social media on your own, you'll probably stand a better chance of getting noticed. Um, now, having said that, there's a lot of um, voluntary positions, and I hesitate to say voluntary, but not internships, but voluntary positions where you can get involved in the community um, and basically show them what you've got. So, for example, getting involved in something like PAX or uh, EGLX, which is happening in Toronto the coming week, um, being a volunteer at those events gives you so much content for your social media that you could basically play reporter if you wanted to um, and sort of prove your worth. And that's really what brands are looking for. Like, can you uh, represent, um, you know, whatever's happening around you accurately and professionally on social media and in a way that people want to engage with. Beyond that, when it comes to the analytics, um, a lot of that you, I don't want to say it's self-taught, but you do have to combine the sort of academic or tutorial aspect that Facebook or Twitter or, you know, any kind of university will give you um, with some kind of practical application. Otherwise, it's really hard to make sense of it. Um, so Google Analytics is a good example. If someone opens Google Analytics in front of you and, and, and sort of starts to explain it to you, it makes a lot of sense. But if you read the Google Analytics tutorials, they're very wordy and hard to understand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel very strongly that if, if it's something that you're interested in and um, you know, you're, you're looking at school, yes, absolutely try to angle yourself around that pursuit. Um, but at the same time, try to get involved in the active areas of social media so those are like facebook groups twitter can be very active basically find the niches um twitch is great twitch is great um but find a niche community where you can actively participate and build your own presence and participation <clears throat> on social media because it's the first thing that your hiring teams can look at <laughs> i feel the um, I feel one of the latest like ones i see pop up and i've and i've, I've followed suit is discord servers where it's mm. just like I, I've I've been invited to so many oh, Discord servers crazy. for for games and stuff like that. I joined a few and then like I eventually just leave because like I'm I'm excited at the time and then like <laughs> as time goes on I'm like eh, I don't need to be a part of this. Um, which oh, is no man. disrespect to them. <clears throat> it's just a matter of Discord's yeah a tricky beast. It's funny someone the other day was trying to convince me that Discord is the new IRC. 
I grew up on IRC. Like, that was my first. We're talking about, like, original games. Yeah. I know IRC is not a game, but it kind of was. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I can see how people look at Discord that way. There's a lot of um, companies that actually use Discord for their uh, fan um, groups or or sort of private servers, as they call them. But, like, that's where you'll get invited if you're you know, a special member of the brand's fan club, for example. Oh, they don't just open it to everyone. Um, they open it to, like, the... Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've seen that used... Um, actually, I think Boyfriend Dungeon had a private Discord that you can only get invited to if you backed their Kickstarter certain level or something like that. So I, I see it being gated and used in different ways. I think that the the problem with that and sort of to what you were saying before is that you do get invited to a lot of them and they don't harmonize very well. I find it really... And, you know, I'm someone who does social media all day. I have the max number of every account everywhere. It's ridiculous. Like my phone is like not pretty to look at. Um, and I find it hard to juggle discord servers. Um, and I consider myself quite adept at that kind of thing. So, <laughs> so I feel like if it's hard for me, it's gotta be super hard for other people. Um, it's really hard to keep up with the notifications on them too. Cause yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at Discord because yeah. I joined, um, Ugh. I'm in five. Well, you guys have a discord, right? Do Doesn't Canadian game devs have one? Yeah, do, exactly. Yes. So, so Obviously, I, I will never remove that and, like, one. Like, never look at it. <laughs> you're not the you're not the only one. There's there's a good group on there of, of people who chat, but I think we have like quite a few, like we have like 300 people, but it's maybe a, a solid group of like 20 or so that are always chatting, which is fine. Which is not bad. Yeah, yeah. like I I feel like that's maybe what Discord is. Is it's this like sort of funnel where a small active base will eventually build, but it you know overall it's just kind of like a collection of people. I'm on like a Twitch Toronto one, and then I uh, I've been playing a lot of Firewall, which is like a VR. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Whew, that game. Um, I joined. <laughs> I was uh, watching a stream. <laughs> I joined a Discord for that game because I'm just uh, I've, I'm just like in love with with it right now. Um, well, see, there's a good use case for Discord. I I really believe in Discord. If you want to run a community around your game, which is something we didn't really talk about today, I've talked about building community, kind of starting from scratch. You know, if you have a community who's playing your game or actively is invested emotionally in your game, whatever that means. Um, you know, private servers or groups are a great way to channel them. I will say humbly, because I get a lot of disagreement here, um, but Facebook is still the dominantly most active platform um, by like a lot. Um, you know, the most sort of active platform by at least a few fold. So people often write off Facebook because they don't like using it sort of for its surface level usage, um, mm -hmm. which is like the timeline, you know, the basic algorithm, all those ads that you hate. Um, but a lot of people are using Facebook private groups. And for me personally, like I'm a big member of the cosplay community, anime conventions, um, resin model kits, so like some weird niche stuff. Um, and it's so active on those Facebook groups. Like there are almost to the tune of like too many people posting that I have to silence some of them because it's hard to keep track. Um, but it, it's fascinating to me how active they are. And I believe the Discord servers, when I've jumped into game ones, because I joined a Rocket League one that was dedicated to a tournament, tournament once. Um, there's another one that... Um, I'm trying to remember what game it was. There's another one dedicated to a very old Star Trek game that used to be on PC. But, you know, again, like sort of niche, weird fan groups yeah. that was very active. So I think you just, like, it's just for... it's It has a very specific use. Um, and when it's applied for that use, I think it's super effective. But when you try to use Discord as like your own giant personal Facebook, I don't, you know, 
I think it's really ineffective. Um, it's too much noise, at least for me. Maybe no, I, I kind of agree with you. <laughs> I, I, I'm running into a trouble with my Facebook uh, group right now because it's it's Toronto game devs um, mm-hmm. still, and they and won't let you change the name. Ex- yeah, exactly. So the, the <laughs> they URL, really crack down on that. Yeah, the URL is Canadian game devs, but then they're just like, oh, we can't have people. You know, you can't create a group called I Love New York and then everyone just, and then he changed it to I Love San Fran and, and confused him. I'm just, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. can I just talk to a person on the phone about this? Because if I, if I could just position it and like mm-hmm. talk to a human, like I could tell you why Toronto Game Devs, like it's Canadian Game Devs. It's going to be the same people. <laughs> like if you like Toronto Game Devs, you're going to like Canadian Game Devs. It's fine. Uh, and if I'm being honest with you, like Facebook in Canada is so small and has such a limited team dedicated to it that like the fact that it's canada just like we don't get any respect yeah and i feel i I don't know what to do because i was people were like they were like oh just start a new one but then i uh i have a sneaky suggestion for you i don't want to get you in trouble so use it your own risk but just you know hey hey um you used to be able to merge pages which i believe you can still do um you may be able to make another page called canadian game devs too or something like that. Or flip the URL so that the one that you have now is Canadian Game Devs 2 and the new one is Canadian Game Devs. And then merge them, possibly. Um, but, create, yeah. Uh, oh, wait. i got to remember if I have a group or... What is this? Groups? Okay, you can't do that with groups. Pa- this is pages only. Okay, I have a page. Okay, yeah. Pages, I think you're going to do that. We'll talk. We'll see. There's, there's, there's some sneaky things that you can do on the platform. And if I'm being honest, like, they're not really rule breaking um certainly your example is clean and clear and crystal um but yeah facebook is really struggling to keep spam from happening across the board and that's actually one great example um of how people got spammed in the past so people would create a group like i hate to say it's all about politics but it kind of is they'd make a group that was like very very left-wing and then they'd change the name to like surprise white right wing overnight and like guess what you got tricked yeah so stupid Oh, Politics ruin everything. So it says no <laughs> <laughs> merge merge pages. You have no pages eligible to merge into Toronto Game Devs. Let me make a page here. This yeah. is uh, I'm going to do this not on the podcast. <laughs> but this, will gonna... be, this will be an experiment that we'll come back to. But um, yeah, I mean the bottom line there is honestly for every platform there's like sneaky stuff that you can do, and as long as you're operating within how the platform works, which this is a great example because it's a function that they offer, mm-hmm. um, you're usually good. And I, I've done this with larger brands too where we were super scared because, you know, it's a page with like a few million people and like, oh my God, if this gets destroyed, we're ruined. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there, there's usually ways to work around it. I will say too, because um, I, I made a comment about how like Facebook doesn't always care about Canada. Um, they should because we're active. But once you start to spend money, as is often the case, um, you will have a little bit more of a voice and a say, uh, mainly through their ad platform, but you can certainly um, get access to some answers that way. So if you're a business who has never considered Facebook advertising, um, work with someone who knows what they're doing, but it can be very effective and it does open up a bit of a gateway to talk to Facebook. Yeah, I've actually, I've ran Twitter ads, Facebook ads, which in line goes to Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and Reddit ads oh, uh, and, and Google ads in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of social, like Reddit, Twitter, and Facebook, Facebook is by far the best one. Interesting. In my See? experience, like Proof. by far. Twitter was garbage. <laughs> uh, Reddit was complete garbage as well. Facebook actually, like I get 
a lot of people joining, a lot of clicks, a lot of people just liking, and then I can invite them later. Um, and they're generally the right people. I mean, as long as you're using the targeting, I find they're really the right people. Facebook has more data on everybody. That's really what it boils down to. So they're be- yeah. better. They spy at on us. They spy on us better than everyone else spies on us. <laughs> they do. They do. And I don't know. Like I'm, you know, I, I don't work for Facebook. I swear, but um, <laughs> I don't really mind. Like I, I kind of like having things that are tailored to me. I'm someone who has a Facebook feed that that I don't hate for the most part, mm. but I am also someone who has taken time to hide things that I don't like. I surprisingly so, have a lot yeah. of uh, anti-Trump um, people, <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm not... That can a, be your friend group, too. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a Trump supporter in any way, but I don't need to, like, uh, like just certain members of my family just really... It's politics. Just, politics yeah. ruin everything. Po- po- no, I've... Yeah, I've got mine down to basically, like, all video games, cosplay, anime, some science stuff. I learned the other day that you Dog can photos. Uh, mute words on Twitter. Yes. Which was which incredible is... to mute Trump because I haven't seen that shit in oh, forever. Sometimes, right. yeah. Sometimes president <laughs> sneaks in or something like that. Um, so they can sneak by. No, but I've seen people use that to block, um, like when they're getting like attacked by trolls, like especially, unfortunately, like, you know, female streamer community, yada, yeah. yada. But um, yeah, it's super effective. And I'm very, like, I try not to block anything or anyone just because like i'm kind of fascinated by how people behave but in general like it's a great feature to have when you're just like nope that's just it i feel like social media yes like there's a lot of noise and terribleness but like you can manage it if you want to it just like not everyone has time for that crap no for that's sure all. no it's for <laughs> sure i don't need like yeah i mean that's a whole nother discussion i think uh i think we hit our strides pretty well here um yay Karina, if anyone is interested in following you or knowing uh, kind of where you're at on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, whatever you feel like sharing with people, where can people find you on the internet? Absolutely. Um, Core Karina, so C-O-R-E-C-O-R-I-N-A, everywhere is me. So Core Karina on Twitter, on Instagram. I mean, if you find someone that's not me, I'd be surprised. Just like you were saying before, you got to get that name. I was gonna say I will have to eat my hat if you find someone who's not what was, me under what that was it name. Called? Uh, name <laughs> I, I went to it. name checker. Name checker. Um, I have to double. Ch- it's not namechecker.com. Name. Name. Check. It's like name checker, but the check is C H E C K R. So e. it's name. So N A M E C H K dot com. Oh, that's what C-H-K. it is. Okay, I'm on a different one then. There's a few of them, and and I haven't found one better than the other. This is just the one that I have to have bookmarked. Um, but it's very useful, especially if you're looking for again that brilliant name for your new game project that you know is going to sell a million copies anyways. But you just need that brilliant name. Go here first. Don't get your heart set on something awesome and learn later that you can't use it because it's no fun. Okay, you got you got a lot of these <laughs> things. Yeah, I try to. Now, I honestly don't own everything. Like, if I'm being perfectly honest, I don't think that you need to own every single space on the internet. Well, you don't have um, to. Uh, don't worry about the Google big Plus. Ones. It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> Google Plus is dead. You're good. Um, and and you know, a lot of people ask me again, like, you know, how important is it that I'm active everywhere? By the same token, it's not. You just want to make sure that you're covering your bases. Anything that you might care about in the future, or that your community might care about in the future, um, needs to belong to you. I'm just going to do a quick search of Canadian game devs. <laughs> see? It's a good little exercise for everyone. It's just like, you know, you Google yourself every now and then, see what comes up. 
yeah. yeah, every now and then I'll come here. Um, and yeah, I guess, you know, the other thing um, in general, I'm, I'm unfortunately not at EGLX, which is really killing me. If, if people were expecting me to be speaking there, I'm sorry. That was an error. <laughs> um, but I intend to actually put together some kind of um, sort of marketing 101 type of workshop that would be available online somehow through them. Um, so I'll make sure that Canadian Game Does is able to get a copy of that as well. But it builds on some other workshops that I've done for bigger brands, and it basically speaks directly to the indie game crowd. So probably useful. Yeah, and actually, uh, while we're talking about EGLX, I will be at EGLX with the booth in the community oh, thing. Awesome. So, oh, um, it's going to be such a good time. Well, everybody come see Canadian Game Devs. You guys <laughs> have should. really nice new hats, don't you? Yes. Oh, oh man. Oh, my gosh. I, they're so nice. I they're was, so nice. I was just talking about this on the on the podcast with Brett, so apologies <laughs> for people who are listening back to back, but the hats are freaking so good. I'm so they happy They must be if we're talking about them this much. <laughs> Well, like, I was going to bug you to save me one, but I'll, I'll we'll see if they sell out first. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's exciting that you're going to be at EGLX. It's going to be massive this year. It looks yeah, so fun. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. It made sense. I had, so my wife, uh, like I do all the like kind of website-y stuff. My, my wife, who's in school for business stuff, is kind of taking more of the business approach to it. So it was oh, her nice. idea. Nice. go to EGLX and uh, I think it'll be extremely beneficial so oh that's um, great great yeah so I'm looking forward to it but Karina thank you so much for joining me I'm glad we finally got to sit down and, and talk and, and whatnot. Um, again everyone <laughs> who wants to follow you core Karina go google that and you'll find you um, and thanks again so much absolutely my pleasure we will uh, talk again soon and um, yeah just hit me up with your marketing questions I'm a big nerd love to talk mm-hmm.